and uh, welcome to the first episode of PDA's Board of Directors series from the PDA Spotlight Podcast, where you come for science and stay for the community. I'm your host, William Roars from PDA, and across from me is a very special guest, an active member of PDA's Board of Directors and a former MHRA inspector, Andrew Hopkins. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good. Hi. Thank you for the invite, Will. Excellent. And how's uh, your experience at the conference so far? It's been really good. I think it's great that we've got so many people here as well. It shows the interest in the post-COVID ability to travel is uh, starting to get there again, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think we're looking at some pretty positive uh, registration and the engagement has been excellent so far. And I do understand that you'll be moderating um, a couple of sessions, one later today and one tomorrow. Do you, would you like to give a, a maybe two-sentence or three-sentence preview of what we're expecting for uh, PQS uh, effectiveness kappa and maybe the, um, the Breakfast 7 mutual recognition agreement? Yeah, of course. So, so the first session is around PQS effectiveness. And we, the way we've phrased the title is to show it's a little bit more than just kappa. Um, this is about the whole process and I think it's really important now to the way we're progressing with, with industry being empowered by the regulators to make sure we're doing the right things. And then the second session is around mutual recognition agreement with uh, the FDA and between Europe as well. Um, that's of quite a close interest to me because I was actually involved in that many years ago when it first happened uh, and I'm interested to really see how it's progressed now and FDA are really keen to talk on the subject as well. So, mm-hmm. so as I understand, you are uh, the Director of Operation Quality for AbbVie and before that you were working as an inspector for the, uh, the MHRA. So what uh, convinced you to depart from the MHRA to go into AbbVie? <laughs> So, so I've been with the MHRA for nearly 14 years. Um, I reached what they call, and the title, job title is expert inspector, so it's not me blowing my own trumpet or ego or anything like that, it's just what they call the title. So that's as far as you can go in the agency without then getting into the more managerial and perhaps slightly bureaucratic roles that I, I wasn't interested in. So I wanted to move out into industry, and perhaps one of the things I noticed with MHRA is that we caused a lot of the problems, or I caused a lot of the problems, but not always involved in the solution. So I felt that with going back to industry, I could help with more of that giving back and giving the solutions. Mm-hmm. And you uh, we, and your career spans more than 40 years of experience. It's taken you across the globe. Um, you've had involvement with the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia, the Taiwan Food and Drug Administration, Health Canada. Uh, in this entire career so far, have you ever had a moment that said, Wow, I think I've seen everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, and uh, I think one of my other roles in my job is auditing, and I feel that if you ever feel that you've stopped learning, then that's the time to stop. For me, every day is still a learning day. It's a school day. It's great. (laughs) All right, and going to the conference today, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about our new revised Annex 1 process and uh, and the EU PICS GMP guide? Yeah, so uh, I actually started the process back in 2014 when I wrote a problem statement for EU. Um, So I I worked with the inspectors working group in AMA. But uh, as you may or may not be aware, that whenever the EU update any GMPs, they work hand in hand with PICS to make sure there's a whole harmonized approach. So this is a truly global project. What was great with the Annex 1, though, was that we had uh, 16 members on the working group when I first started. And the majority of those were non-EU PICS members rather than the 
the EU PICS members, which is unusual. So it, it was a truly global process. Um, it took, well, it took me four years and then I handled, handed over the, uh, the, the uh, baton to others who took it right through to the final process where we were now just released in August 25th this year. So, yeah. It's my understanding that Annex 1 is kind of an ongoing um, regulation, uh, if that's the correct term for it. Uh, but things are, are changing. From the first Annex 1, we've had revisions. So how, why is it so important that we keep revisiting Annex 1 and revising it? Well, one of the interesting things about when we wrote the problem statement back in 2014 was that Annex 1 had never really undergone a wholesale revision. Mm -hmm. uh, it had gone little tweaks and changes, but when we looked around what was happening in industry, we had changes in uh, mentality, if you like, with the whole quality risk management process. We were seeing new technologies coming through and we felt that the existing annex wasn't at a point where it now um, allowed that development. So one of the key things for making a wholesale change was to, to allow people to put more of their own knowledge into their processes rather than the regulators just saying, it'll be this, it'll be that. So it was really about pushing back some of the ownership to industry. There are still some nuances where the, where the regulation still says you must do it this way. And that's generally because of poor experiences that inspectors have had in the past. Mm -hmm. And speaking as a board member for PDA, how does the association intermix with uh, with directing Annex 1 and how does it deliver it to its members? I think it's been a great collaboration. So when I started the process as an inspector, I was really keen that we went out and found out everybody's concerns. PDA were really useful to me at that time in helping me get that progress, uh, understanding what what is industry's concerns, what is their baseline. So. PDA all the way through has helped with that process and, uh, and that communication has been great. They also help with consolidating some of the responses. So there's always a consultation document. They helped with consolidating those responses in the initial one. And I think because of the fact that they're so highly regarded, they were then invited by EMA to be part of the responding team when it was a more limited responding group. So I think it really shows how PDA have been involved. Also, there's been some challenges on the technical elements of Annex 1 and PUPS it being one of the clean, clear ones where I threw out some challenges to PDA when I was still an inspector, but they, they went and did some work and scientifically worked to show what the concerns really were and what perhaps we could help mitigate on as well. So I think PDA have been really active in helping this cross the final line, as it were. Mm. So Annex 1 is not even simplifying it's a complicated it's a beast of a of a concept so how if somebody was unfamiliar or inexperienced and trying to introduce themselves into annex one and compliance how does pda help somebody uh, get their feet under the ground or well, get I think, under their feet yeah i think pda have already done a lot towards that so they've got the points to consider document that they worked on um, they've still got that interest group going, so that, that document is evolving. They've got the uh, training that they do now, um, so that's being done in the, in the training facility. And I think they continue to help uh, people with uh, things like the um, conferences as well, where they, they discuss the issues and help people understand things like what a contamination control strategy is, for instance. So they're, they're still helping evolve that. I know we in PDA have offered to help with training of inspectors. 
I'm not sure that offer's been taken up yet, but that would be another key area where we could help ensuring understanding and harmonization. And is there anything else that we could do as an organization to keep uh, to keep our members up to date and current with these uh, with these new changes? Well, I think this sort of thing is really good. So these sort of podcasts, I think, is a great innovation uh, that will help us take that forward. The letters as well, where people might be able to write in and say what their experiences have been and perhaps even give some case studies of how they've done things. Because I think that's something we as an industry are not always great at, is sharing what we do well and helping others to develop that as well. So I think there are a number of tools that PDA can add in in addition to the conferences, to the training, so there's a lot there we can do, I think. Sure. And uh, relating to this conference in specific, um, of course, we have another day going in. What are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, anything that caught you by surprise from the agenda? Not so much from the agenda. No, I guess I was on the planning committee, <laughs> so course. there wouldn't have been much of a surprise in there. But I think it's been, a, again, it just shows what a great dialogue PDA are helping us to, to, to have with the regulators and with the exhibitors as well. We bring in the suppliers into what I've always thought is a really important tripartite dialogue between industry suppliers and the regulators. There's been a lot of interesting things from some of the bigger sessions, which I find myself, as you mentioned, I've been in the industry a long time now, (laughs) nearly 40 plus years, and I still see that we're doing the same things wrong. That that worries me, and I think that's been a concern and a shock to me that we still see events from 20, 30 years ago coming back and we're still seeing seeing the same things again. So that's probably the biggest learning I've seen this this conference. As far as this pattern recognition goes, I mean, to have somebody with so much knowledge in the industry being on this board, how have you seen things change from when you first started at PDA to where we are now? Wow. (laughs) It's a bit of a bear. It's it's a heck of a bear. And I think probably going back again, the way we've got that dialogue going with the regulators, that, that's been a work in progress and we've been doing the, like the PDAF conference for years, but I think we've had other initiatives now that mean that we're recognised as a good, good, relatively friendly environment where people can go and discuss things with the regulators. I think that's changed. I think we're prolific in the technical reports now, so that that's great. Um, we're also very active in looking for new opportunities and think like the early career professional initiative is a great thing that uh, FDA, FDA, sorry, PDA are doing now. So that that's good to see. So I think there are a number of things where we're always looking for opportunities to evolve. So. And at the end of this conference, what do you think would be the most important takeaway from somebody who has attended? So there's a number, but one of the big things I've really taken away already is that culture is so important to what we do. You can write all the procedures you like, you can do all the technical training you like, but if people don't have the right attitude and behaviors, then that all goes out the window. And I think probably linked to that, one of the big things is knowledge management. So again, we have a lot of people, older people like myself, for instance, who will retire eventually. We take a lot of knowledge with them, I think. Um, it's how we manage that knowledge going forward. And I think also recognizing that the way people learn these days is very different to perhaps 
when I was in school because we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have much of an internet. So learning is very different. So trying to evolve the way we do that knowledge management is really important. And uh, my last question, right, prepared, but speaking from your experience, how does our relationship in the U.S. with the FDA uh, compare to the international world? Is there anything we can learn from our uh, competitors and our compatriots overseas? Yeah, I think so. I think um, PDA has quite a strong focus on the U.S. side of things. Um, I think COVID slowed some of that up because certainly when I was in the MHRA, we were having a number of the Mars meetings, whereas where senior management from PDA came and met with MHRA, for instance, and they've tried to do that with the EMA. We lost a little bit of that impetus during COVID because people just were focused on doing vaccines and trying to make sure people didn't die, which is, of course, the right priority. Uh, and then the travel wasn't so easy. So I think we've lost that focus. So I think if we could move back to trying to engage with the other regulators as well, that, that would be a really strong position for us. All right. Thank you. And since I'm, I've already gone through my written questions, is there anything else that you would like to add or include? So I think with Annex 1, I think one of the things that's really important to me is we, we had the dialogue going along, uh, and a lot of the Annex is about making sure that we as industry understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. That's part of the QRM principle as well, and I think I still worry that we still see people saying, well, I've got to implement this because the regulator is telling me to. I think we have to change that focus so it's more, I'm doing this. Yeah, the regulator's telling me to do it, but the reason they're telling me to do it is because it's what's right for the patient. The other thing I think Annex 1 has really tried to drive, and a lot of the regulators are trying to drive, is innovation in technologies. So, again, we're not very strong on moving forward as an industry, so I'd love to see us moving forward as an industry to embrace these new technologies whether it be things like isolators and robotics for, for manufacturing or rapid micro methods for detection methodology. So that's something I'd love to see us doing. And do you think we can achieve that relatively soon or is it more of a, a continual process? <laughs> it's taken us 10 years, 15 years, and we're still not there. So I think it's very much a continual process. I think to a degree we're a highly regulated industry, so that's not always an easy thing to do. But I think sometimes we use it as an excuse for not moving forward as fast as we could do as well. So we can be a little bit risk averse from that point of view. It sounds like it's a question of momentum. Yes. That once it starts to roll. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that we have to recognize about the regulators is the regulators have evolved. So when I first started in the industry, you didn't talk to a regulator unless you had to. But when you look around the world now, there are various initiatives in the regulators around supporting new innovation. They want us to talk to them. We should be taking that opportunity and saying, hey, we're looking at this technology two, three, four years down the road. What do you think to our approach? Do you think it's a sensible route to go? How can you help us with that? And I think the regulators are very keen to do that now. So I'd love to see us embracing that as well. So it sounds like we've moved away from an us versus them mentality. I, I would like to hope so, but then I probably sit a little bit on the fence on that one being ex-regulator and, and in industry, but we're trying to move away from that. And I think we are slowly doing it, but we're still quite conservative in what we do. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, I just want to thank you again for spending the time with us to talk on this podcast. 
Um, and I hope that you have an excellent session of moderation tomorrow. Brilliant. And later today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have Been a great a pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure.